Good morning. My name is Pat Miller, and I uh, coordinate the uh, ministry at Juvenile Hall at Eastlake. We will have a table in the lobby after the service. If you'd like to hear more about it, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, our scripture reading today is found in the book of Revelation 3, 7 to 13. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. When he opens, no one can shut, and when he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Or will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write them on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. First, I want to make sure you pull out a worship folder and find that section, what did you hear from the Lord today? You you heard this word from Jesus, the one who has ears, uh, hear what the Spirit says to the church. So uh, those of you who have ears, um, today ask God to open them up to hear whatever he would have to say to you in the moments that we have together. Um, You know, during my recent trip to Asia, um, I met a number of pastors and Christian leaders who were incarcerated. I mean, maybe for different reasons uh, than some of those who are coming back to our city, but they were in prison uh, because of their faith in Jesus. But it was always so amazing to me as I spoke with them that none of them felt like those were wasted years in the prison. None of them complained about having to go there. In fact, and I'll show you one quote that came from uh, Pastor Eli. He said this. He said, people don't realize that people in prison seem more open to knowing about Jesus. And he said, I personally discovered that Jesus is there in the prison. Uh, He said, I miss my uninterrupted times with Jesus there. Now, keep that quote up there for just a moment. The the thing that I want you to see and that will help you to understand what I want to say today is, is that even though the doors were closed in the prison, there were some doors that Pastor Eli saw could never be closed. And those, those doors were his access to God. No prison door could keep him from times of prayer. In fact, I think I told you this. He said to me, um, you know, my life is so busy as a pastor. I don't have any time for prayer anymore. I miss being in prison where I could pray, you see. So open door to God. And number two, his open door to having his life count to ministry. He said people were more open 
to Jesus there than in other places. Jesus is there. So he had a, a, a worthwhile experience being there because of his relationship with God that wasn't broken and because he had the opportunity to live for Jesus there in the prison. Do you see that? And the other thing that I want you to see in this message, not only the open doors, but while he was there, he didn't have to fear. He somehow knew that there was a reason why God had him there. And no matter what the authorities might do, he was being held. His, his eternal life was safe in God. So if you can hold on to those two points, the open doors that cannot be taken away from us, and the fact that God holds us, whatever happens in our lives, in the palm of his hands, you'll understand this message today. And that brings us to the text that Pat just read to us. You know, for those visiting, we are looking at letters that Jesus dictated to seven different churches in um, what's now Turkey. It used to be called uh, Asia Minor. Now, the reason why those letters were dictated, I'm sure there were many of them, but one of the main reasons was this. Jesus wanted uh, to prepare people for the difficult days that were ahead. Uh, the Christians who went to church were already experiencing some really challenging times themselves, but Jesus had already been able to see that the days ahead were going to be even harder. In fact, within the next generation, some of the worst persecution that Christian churches have ever experienced happened to these very Christians in Turkey uh, that Jesus wrote letters to. And so th these letters were sort of preparing them helping them to think about the world in such a way that when hard times came, they didn't give up and they didn't have to be unfaithful. And I'll tell you what Jesus taught them worked. It, it took root. It worked. Uh, when the tribulation came, they were faithful to him. And they did not give up. And they were at peace. And, and all week I thought, okay, I have this privilege of being your senior pastor. And I wonder if I have prepared you well for whatever might happen in your life. I do think that's a part of the calling of a pastor. To, to help us to think in the way that God would have us to think. So that we can be ready for good times as well as for bad. And so today this is going to be a part of it. And I, I pray you'll listen as carefully as possible. Because you might be going through really good times now. Thank God. <laughs> but you might be going through hard times now. But I want you to know that the times ahead could be harder but whatever happens whatever happens nothing in this world can take away from you the things that really matter and I want you to know that and one of the texts that Christians have always looked at for this kind of instruction is what we come to today well actually the two main ones first Peter and these seven letters to the book of Revelation uh, the churches there, the Christian leaders in Asia that I talked with, they referred to these all the times, and especially to this particular letter to the church in Philadelphia. Now, I'll just show you where that was. It was in Turkey. I have a map here. I show you this every week so you can know this is, these are real people in real churches, not just fictional kinds of people. You see, Philadelphia is there right in the middle. Now, when we think about Philadelphia, we think about a huge city back in Pennsylvania. This one was not. Of all of these cities, it was the smallest, maybe the least prosperous. And even Jesus will say to the Christians there, I know you have little strength, very few resources. And yet, he says, you can make a big difference, no matter what happens in your life. In fact, I have a picture of, uh, of Philadelphia the way it is now, too. And if you've seen the ones I've shown you before, do you see how small it probably would have been? 
And yet in that small city, they were experiencing tremendous difficulty. It was going to get worse and they were ready for it. How were they ready for it? Okay, two perspectives I want to give you. The first one has to do with these open doors. And here I've written it this way. That when you and I come to know Jesus, when we give our lives to him, you know, he opens up a new life for us. He, he, he makes God known to us. So when we know him and serve him, what happens is we get to be involved constantly in a mission that matters. No matter where we are, no matter what happens, doors to our lives counting cannot be taken away. Look at what Jesus says in verses 7 and 8. These are the words of him who is holy and true. These are the words of the one who holds the key of David. And that key of David was the one who was to open up the door to access to God for all people, to the king over all kings. So what he opens, and Jesus is speaking about himself, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So see, I have placed before you an open door that no one in this world can shut. Now I want you to think with me here. Uh, You and I are human beings. Yes, Uh, you and I are human beings. And a part of being human is uh, we like to have potential. We like our lives to make a difference. We like to look forward and have something about tomorrow that might be more than yesterday. We, we, We have this longing for our lives to count. Uh, most of God's creatures are content just to have food and to survive. You and I aren't happy if we're just surviving. We want our lives to make a difference. And you see this in so many parts of us. Uh, this is why sometimes uh, people are willing to take a job because they think that this new job would help my life to have a greater impact than my old job. People will sometimes move thousands of miles simply to get out of a dead-end job, as we look at it, and into one that has potential for promotion. Uh, back at the university, uh, I had a man who was willing to leave a job uh, as the uh, CEO and president of a Fortune 200 company and take a job that paid probably one-fifteenth of what he was making in that because of this. Because he wanted his life to count and he thought it might count more eternally in this other one. Do you know what I'm getting at there? I, I think this is also, when you think about it that way, why unemployment is so devastating to us as a society. Uh, So many of us in the last seven or eight years have experienced that. Some of you still are. And what many of you have said to me as pastor, when I didn't have any work, it's not just the financial stress I feel. It's just I feel so useless. I don't feel like my life is counting. And I really think, uh, Daryl and Brian, this is one of the reasons why incarceration is so hard. When people go into a prison, they they feel like the doors to their opportunities for the future are shut. And even people coming home wonder, "Will will I even be able to find a job? And if I do, is it one that really makes a difference? Because you know, simply because you've been in a prison doesn't make you less human. We are human beings and we've been built in such a way that we want our lives to count. I think for some of us, this is why retirement is so hard. Uh, Some people, when you retire, you think heaven is going to begin, and then you find out, wait a minute, I was going to play golf. But golf is good, but to live for golf, that's not a life. Or to live to be a part of a square dancing club. Whatever whatever you do (laughs) in retirement, because we've been built, we want want to also have our lives count for something, to to be productive. And, And I think this is what makes impending death so difficult 
for people who are not followers of Jesus and don't believe in a life after death because some have just been living you know, their whole lives wanting to get that career, getting those investments, getting that house. And they get all that stuff at the end. And then sickness or old age comes and they know that death is at hand and it will take all that away. It will take all that away. All those things seem to close doors if that's what we live for. So what I'm saying is this. What God has made us for is to have our lives really count and to always continue to have open doors to our lives making a difference. Because you and I are human beings. We are made in God's image. And when God introduces himself, he's creating things. He's making stuff. He is productive. He works. And he's made you and me to find great, great joy when our lives count for something that matters. Does this make sense to you? Uh, Just to survive is just so unendingly boring. And what Jesus is saying is this. When we give our lives to him, no matter what this world throws at us, We have open doors that no one can shut. And that gives meaning to life. And that's what these Chinese, Asian, Christians uh, were saying to me. That even though governments may try to close doors on us, they cannot close the doors that God has opened up. So what are they really getting at there? Well, let me see if I can explain it a little bit here. Um... I think one of them is this open door that we have to enter into God's presence and to know God as our Father. That, when we experience that, that's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? And yet people were trying to close their doors on that. Uh, one of the things that was being closed there was the churches where they were meeting were being closed down by the government uh, back in, in the first century world. Literally, the doors to their meeting places were being shut. And people were saying, you're not going to be able to meet God. You're not going to be able to worship God. We'll close your doors. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. When you enter into a relationship with God, I am the key. And when I am in your life, no one can shut the door to access to God. Do you, do you see it? Uh, there's also this really tough verse. Did you notice as Pat was reading? Verse 9, that sounds many things sounds anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, even though Jesus said it and he was Jewish. He, he says this, I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I'll make them come and acknowledge that I love you. Uh, do you see that verse? Um, this is not an anti-Semitic verse. Um, in, in the last message I did in Sardis, he said it to a Christian people in a church, you pretend that you're alive, but you are dead. Uh, Being a Christian means we're alive to God, but you are not really alive to God. You're living for yourselves. And that's the same thing he's doing here. Uh, God had brought the people of Israel, the Jewish people, into being so that the Messiah could come through them. And as, as God had said to Abraham early on, you are going to be a blessing to all nations. All nations will be able to come to me through one who is born in your line. And, and Jesus would say it too. The houses that you have, the synagogues that you have, the temple that you have, they're to be houses of prayer for all people. And yet what was happening here in Philadelphia was this. Even though most of the Christians were Jewish believers and still wanted to worship in the synagogue, the Jewish people had closed the door because they were following Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're saying you're true, Jews, but you're not. Because God brought you into being, brought us into being, To open up the door for all people to know God. And you're closing the door. 
And to the Christians he was saying, no matter if that happens and as hard as it is for you to lose access to the place where your very family worships, to the family of God, that door can never be closed. Do you see that? So a part of it is he is just telling us that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the presence of God. Uh, that when hard times come, we can hold on to the fact that God is a refuge and strength. He's a present help. Isn't he? Present help. Even in times of trouble. But I don't think it's just an open door to God's presence. I think it's also he's, he opens up doors. He said, I'll set in front of you a door. An, an open door to ministry, I think he's getting at. And I especially get that from this verse 7. The way that Jesus uh, speaks of it here. What he opens, this one who holds the key of David, no one can shut. And what he's going to open up to you, no one can open. Now what Jesus is doing though there is quoting Isaiah 22, which was written centuries before he came. I'll show you Isaiah 22 just so that you can see it. Uh, God said, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. And what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Does that sound a little bit like what Jesus just said? Well, back in Isaiah, what was happening was uh, a man named Hilkiah was given a key that opened the door to the palace of the, king, of the king of David. And not only did he have the key that opened the door for him to go into the king's palace, but he used that key to open the door for other people to go into the king's palace. And now Jesus is saying, that was all just pointing to me. I am the one who opens the door to go into the palace of the king of kings. And not only do you get to go through, but I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you myself as the key so that you can be the one who opens up the door for others to come into the presence of God and to know God's healing and to know God's help, to know God's presence. So that that means you and I have the privilege not only of walking through the door, but when God brings other people across our lives of saying, I know how you can come to know God too. And also to be the keys to helping them experience the love of God and the mercy and the justice of God. Now, when I put it that way, do you see any ways that this might apply to us? Or have I spoken so vaguely that you wonder, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, let me just tell you, if I can say it in the right way, this energizes every moment of my life. I mean, I can wake up in the morning. And no matter if I failed yesterday, no matter what has happened, I can wake up and know that through repentance, turning away from those things that I've put in God's place, turning to God, God is ready to welcome me. And that through Jesus, I can begin that day with Him, and it's a thrilling beginning. Each day has a new beginning. Hallelujah. And not only that, I can go out into the day, and wherever God sends me, I know that I will have opportunities, maybe unexpected opportunities, to, to bring the message of Jesus and the love of Jesus to those he brings across my path. Do, do you remember the series of messages I did early on here? Every uh, encounter is a divine appointment. And every appointment, when God brings somebody across our paths, is an opportunity for us to make a difference. Now let me just tell you, that made a difference in the lives of these people in Philadelphia. I told you in the very next generation, they had to experience some of the worst suffering you've, you've, you've ever seen. And they were faithful to Jesus. Uh, when they were asked to recant their faith and just worship the emperor, they did not. More than that, they looked, in the midst of them having very few resources, 
I think they'd also read Isaiah 58, where we're told to spend whatever resources we have on behalf of the people God loves, on behalf of the imprisoned, on behalf, uh, behalf of the poor, and they did it. Now, you've got, you got to tune in here. In the second century, uh, a, a huge plague hit the known world. Uh, so many people were desperately sick. And the sick, by many different groups, religions, families, were just thrown out into the streets to die. Uh, you know what Christians did? Christians, even those who were persecuted, went out into the streets, took the poor out of the streets, and tried to nurse them to health. It made a huge difference. It was one of the main reasons why nobody could wipe out the church with, with concerted efforts by the emperor often to do so. There is one, and I've shown you the quote at other times, by an emperor a little bit later named Julian, who was trying to get rid of Christians because he couldn't stand Christians because we wouldn't worship him. <laughs> the emperor wanted people to worship him. Christians said, no, only one person is worthy of worship, and that is our God. And he, hated, he called them godless Galileans because we wouldn't worship him as God. And so he was complaining to a general, I can't get rid of these godless Galileans, he said. Because they care for their own poor and for ours as well. And it so authenticated the gospel in the eyes of everybody that many, many people were coming to church in spite of the persecution. I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, if we will have eyes to see those open doors, always access to God so that we'll have trust when tough times come, always open eyes to knowing we might be the resource of hope and help for anybody across our paths. We will be a blessing to this community. And many will come to the Christ who is changing our lives. Don't you long for that to happen? Through your life and through us? I've never met anybody who, after they have either led someone to faith in Jesus or even reached out in the love of Jesus to someone else and seen, seen that making a difference, who says, oh, this God thing isn't real. You are alive when you look for those open doors. I had an old West Virginia uh, preacher who used to say this, when you know Jesus, where others only can see a hopeless end, you see an endless hope. I always loved that phrase. For there are always open doors. Which brings me, and I'll, I'll just try to say this briefly, to the other piece. So that when we walk through those doors and trust Him and make known that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, uh, when we reach out in compassion to those He brings across our paths, still sometimes there's tremendous resistance. Have you experienced that? And yet we don't have to be afraid. Do you remember I said in the prison... I saw Pastor Eli as one who somehow knew that no matter what happened in the world, he was held, he was safe ultimately, that his life could not be stolen from him. So this is the second point I want you to grab hold of. When you come to Jesus, we get to hold on to something that really lasts. And Did, did I put it up? Yeah, I put a parenthesis because I changed my thinking on this. It's not so much us holding on as we find out he's holding on to us. Look at how it's put in verse 10. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test, to test the inhabitants of the earth. All right, we only have a few minutes left. 
Those of you who are long-time churchgoers, you know this is one of the most debated verses in the Bible. New, new church people, you have no idea why. But you know, in the time I have, I can't explain it all. So I'm just going to say a few words about this. First, I think this had a specific application to these early Christians. The, a loss, isn't loss one of the hardest things for us? Uh, I, I lose things all the time. I'm just so absent-minded. It's true, right? I lose my keys all the time. I get so frustrated. Uh, when, I, when I lose things, I just hope none of the church people will see me. They say, that's not very pastor-like of you. <clears throat> Losing things just so frustrating for us. But when the loss is not just something as trivial as maybe keys, but it's our job or a relationship, like due to a divorce, or especially if, if it's the loss of a loved one due to death. I mean, what we experience inside can just crush us. And yet loss is a part of our world. Now think about these people in Philadelphia. They were experiencing all sorts of loss. Uh, getting into schools. When they followed Jesus, they couldn't even get into the schools. Uh, getting a good job. Many people wouldn't hire them because they were followers of Jesus. And eventually some of them would be losing their lives. Loss, loss, loss. So, so where do they find any hope? Where do they find the peace to be able to walk with Him? And Jesus says, it comes from this. That I, the one who was dead and who is now alive, I will hold you. And nothing, nothing can do eternal harm to your life. And so in one respect, what he's saying here, and something I want you to grab hold of is this. Is whatever you experience in this world, whatever kind of, ex- of loss you may have to face... That as Paul said in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing in or outside this world that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will hold on to you no matter what people may try to tear away from you. Anybody believe that? When, When the tough times come, will you remember back to this message? And just remember that whatever is happening that is shaking your world, that He is holding you because He loves you with an everlasting love. Now, of course, Jesus is speaking about something even bigger than just what happened in Philadelphia. He spoke about a tribulation that's going to come onto the whole world. And the Bible in the Old and New Testament speaks about that. That in the end times, there will be a time when when God's judgment will be poured against all evil. And when the tribulation will be even worse, it will not just be in one place, but but it will be upon all inhabitants. The Bible says that. And here I think Jesus is referring to what is spoken of in the book of Daniel about that. And um, it's it's caused great debate. Because what is Jesus going to do whenever that comes to us? And some have emphasized the little preposition that he will keep us out of. So that before that great tribulation comes, he'll rescue us from it. And in that, there's great, great hope and comfort. Others have emphasized the word kept. The way that it would have been understood by the early Christians there in Philadelphia. That when that comes, even that, that, that judgment that comes from God will be kept safe from that. That he will hold on to us no matter how bad that tribulation may come. So I'm not going to settle which one of those two is in the few moments we have here. Right? Though someday I'll have to do a class so we can wrestle with that a bit. But I've written here so that you can see what I think Jesus is saying. Whichever way you take that verse, 
whether he will take us out of it or hold on to us in the midst of it. This is what Jesus, he tells all of his followers that in this difficult world in which we sometimes feel we're losing everything, that God will hold us. And when the worst comes, either through a miraculous escape, a rapture, or through his own providential protection, God promises to hold on to us in the worst times of tribulation. You see, because the message that, that is here in this word is that there is one person who loves you with an everlasting love. There is one person who will keep you no matter what happens. There is one person who will never forsake you no matter what happens in this world. And what Jesus is saying is, when you know me, you don't have to fear anything. You don't have to fear anything. See, this changes everything, doesn't it? Um, I'll close with the way that Jesus did. Verse 12. So, to those of us who trust him, and he says, who is victorious, uh, who doesn't give in, doesn't deny Christ, continues to look for opportunities to minister, faithful to him in the way we live, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will you leave it. I will write on you the name of my God and I'll write on you the name of the city of my God. You may not want that written on you, but I'll have the new Jerusalem, the one coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on you my new name. Now, what this comes out of is in 17 AD, this massive earthquake when Sam prayed today about the earthquake that had hit the Philippines. A massive earthquake hit Philadelphia and absolutely destroyed the city. No pillars were left. They were shown to be insubstantial. And the emperor, the Caesar, came in and said, I'll spend my money to rebuild that city, but only on the condition that you put my name on the city. So they renamed Philadelphia New Caesar. And that lasted about four years because as soon as that uh, uh, emperor was gone, they didn't want his name on there anymore. So you see, he thought he was doing something that would put his name into in uh, to last forever, unending perpetuity. But it doesn't work that way. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you trust me and are faithful to me, I'm going to give you a name that cannot be taken away. I'm going to make sure that you know that there is a pillar that nothing in this world can destroy. And the name that you get to have engraved in your being is my name itself. That you and I have a place of identity. We have a place of belonging that cannot be taken from us. That we are followers of the Jesus who triumphed over our sin and over death itself. And promises that until he finishes his work, there will be no shut doors. So hold on to this. An open door to the presence of God. Nobody can take that away from you. An open door to making your life count in this world. Because even if you are in a prison, as Pastor Eli said to me, even if we are in a prison, the opportunities for ministry may be greater than if we were not. So even if you have to go to an unemployment line, I bet God will bring across your path somebody who needs to have the key, the way open, so that they can know God and can find peace in the midst of that unemployment. Don't you think? Wherever He sends us, we have an open door. And while we are faithful to Him, when the deepest challenges come, 
we can be at peace. Because he will hold us. Because he is who he says he is. He is our refuge. He is our strength. And he is a very present help. Even in times of trouble. Hold on to it. To his glory. Amen. Amen. Praise God.